Today, I interviewed my friend and fellow teacher, Devin Sparasa. He has an extremely passionate love for teaching, and he is a very, very inspiring man as far as fitness goes. I hope you really enjoy the episode with Devin Sparasa. Yeah, man, I'm always kind of afraid that I'm always kind of afraid that while I'm recording, it's just not going to, it's just going to like not record. Yeah. Like I'm going to be done talking to somebody and, um, and it's just not going to, not going to work. If you get a little bit closer, I think it'll pick up the audio a little better. All right. But, um, but yeah, dude, honestly, starting the school year super early this year has been kind of weird because... It's July, and I feel the same urgency that I would feel if it were, like, late August, but it's July. And that, that's that got to be weird for you right now because didn't we used to start in August, like, beginning of August? We used, When we were in high school, we started, like, like later in August. Like, I, I feel like mid to late August. That's what I'm remembering is, yeah. like, you know, starting, like, beginning of August or middle of – somewhere around there, and now we're starting in July? Um, yeah, I mean – I feel like with this year-round schedule, do you guys do a year-round schedule? Yeah, it's always been that way okay. down in Coolidge. So with the year-round schedule, I'm like, awesome. We're going to get two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, and all the other holidays. Cool. Um, I feel like they could have started later and just ended later. So did they just switch to that this year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think a number of districts switched last year. A number of districts switched last year. Um, and basically it was a conflict because there's so many families that are in both like two different districts. It's not like a unified high school and elementary school district type Mm -hmm. situation, but, um, cool, man. No, it's cool. It's good having you here, bro. Like it's always fun when I get to bring, dude, my voice. (laughs) So I think we're up to 40 now. 40, bro. Uh, so, um, I got my friend Devin Sparasa here. We're going to talk about a number of different subjects, but he sat in on my class on in in my class. Um, I'm all flustered now, bro. Um, he sat in in my class, and my students were keeping a tally of how many times my voice cracked. And it is the first week of school. Yeah, I have not had to talk this much in a while. Oh my gosh! I mean, I was going through it too this this week. Like my voice was just crushed by the end of this week. I I was so glad to finally get to my Friday. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <clears throat> I feel like I hit puberty early and just never never finished. Like my voice is always cracked, and especially because I coach. And I'm so loud when I coach, and I've I've put my I put some miles on my voice. I'm gonna be one of those old men that like you can't understand. I feel you've like. got that old raspy voice. Yeah, doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's gonna be me, bro. Honestly, um, but yeah, dude. I mean, I'm glad you came in here, man. So Devin, you graduated with me, 2011. 2000. Oh my gosh, has it been that long already? It's been that long, bro. <sighs> 2011 dude when i tell people that i'm 30 (laughs) like three zero like i remember being a little kid 
my dad's exactly 30 years older than me. So mm-hmm. like hearing my dad be like, like I think the youngest I can remember him saying was 35, 36. You know, I remember, actually, no, I remember, I guess, being in kindergarten, you know, being a little younger. And I was like, man, like, that's a dad. Like, that's a dad. Dude. Yeah. You're a dad. Yeah. Fre- fre- you know, fresh <laughs> being a dad. I mean, my, I, we just had my daughter in March, and now she's coming up on five months old. And now I'm sitting there going, like, holy cow, this is what it feels like. Yeah. And, I mean, it's the best feeling in the world, but it also makes you feel so much older. Like, I went from having a full head of, like, you know, a black beard to now I am just salt and pepper beard. Yeah? Within the span of one year. So you know what you need to do? You need to fully embrace it, okay? Just go mustache only. Start tucking everything into your jeans. Like, doesn't matter if you're wearing a t-shirt. Doesn't matter if you're – everything is tucked in. New Balance shoes. They got to be white though. White. They got to be white, white new balance. With like laces that you for sure took off of an old <laughs> pair of shoes because you're just, you, you put them on and so they're kind of gray. Yeah. Yeah. You just need to go full dad mode. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got, I got to get a dad outfit. Yeah. And then I'll wear those to like parent teacher conferences <laughs> and like the first day of school dropping my daughter off. Like, you know. That's full, the move. Full dad mode. That's my dad. Dude, my dad, when I was a kid, straight up cul-de-sac, bald hair bald head mustache tucked everything into his jeans like just the quintessential 90s early 2000s dad cop mustache he looked like super mario (laughs) (laughs) oh man and and i mean i just i rock t-shirts all day every day and so like getting into the teaching profession that was a culture shock to me really like you know wearing more professional clothes like the the most professional I will ever go is like a polo. Occasionally I do like a full button down. I have like a long sleeve black shirt that I'll roll up the sleeves, but I just can't get, it's hard for me to get into that kind of professional type but, thing. But you teach choir music and stuff. So like that's physical. It can be at times. I know there are times in drama where I'm like, I wish I could wear like a little bit more like athletic stuff, like a t-shirt or something, because trying to do that stuff in a polo or like nicer looking fabric, it just, it looks bad by the end of the day. But, and it feels uncomfortable. Like I remember I was in an improv troupe before the pandemic. And when I would go straight from work to like a rehearsal, um, cause we did like improv and sketch comedy and stuff like that. So we yeah. would still like rehearse, not like we were just playing. Um, yeah, I feel you. It was always better when I could go home, put on like workout clothes and then go to rehearsal Cause it's physical. I think honestly, I think teaching, if you're doing it right, you're getting up, you're moving, you're being expressive with your body and things like that. I think it's physical. And even no matter the subject too, cause even being just like what we call a classroom monitor for eighth grade math, cause we're going through a virtual program. I'm up. I am on my feet for the full 90 minute block. Like I am making sure everyone is doing their work. You know, I'm, I'm still having to be expressive, even though I'm not teaching the class. Like it's a physical job. Yeah. People, people on the outside don't realize how physical it actually is until you get right down to it and mental. Yeah. I'm reading this book called change your brain, change your grades. 
Um, I've been doing a lot of like research on like sports psychology and stuff like that. And I've had this book sitting on my shelf for a while. My wife's grandma gave it to me and it's a, it's for kids, right? It's a book for kids to help them get organized and get better grades and stuff like that. But there's a few chapters where they talk just about psychology and like the science of the brain and everything. And your brain uses 30% of the calories you intake each day. Like your brain burns 30% of the calories you, you've eaten. Like that's crazy. That's why like, so my sister's a, a nutritionist. I've had her on the podcast for a dietitian. She prefers to be called a dietitian. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about why the keto diet is so bad. Like, because you're big, you know, you're big into diets. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Yeah. But like the keto diet, I guess, was invented or developed for people with epilepsy. Did Mm -hmm. you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like people with epilepsy so that their brain wouldn't have as much function. Because the carbohydrates are energy. And so that gives too much energy and synapses start firing. I think that's what it is. Don't quote me on it. Right. Something, something with the carbohydrates and the way they work in the brain causes, you know, more seizures. So the goal is to eliminate those carbohydrates and replace it with a different form of energy, the ketones. Right. Yeah. I remember my first year teaching and I'm sure not just teachers, but like a lot of young professionals can uh, identify with this. Like I would get home from teaching or I would drive home in silence, first of all. Mm-hmm. The adrenaline is high, man. Like high adrenaline all day long. I would drive home in silence and just get this crazy, like, I don't know if you call it like a like a you know, loss of adrenaline or whatever. It just like poof, like the adrenaline was just gone. And I would sit, my first year teaching, I lived with my folks. I would sit in my parents' driveway, in my car, in silence, and just go. And sometimes, like, I'm not going to lie, like, I would, like, tear up. And I wasn't sad. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't unhappy teaching. It was just really weird to have all that adrenaline. It just went away. Super weird. It can be. I mean, I'm still in my third year of teaching, so I'm still trying to get my routine down. But, yeah, like, the second I hit campus, my adrenaline's going. Like, you know, it's, you know, what's the day? What's the day have in store for me? What are my kids going to be doing? Well, you know, what am I where am I going from here? Like the adrenaline just starts going like even on my drive down because I work down in Coolidge. I work for Coolidge Unified School District. So, you know, I've got 45 minutes to think about my game plan, you know, an hour at most if I get stuck behind the construction semi trucks. So, you know, I've got 45 minutes to an hour to think about how my day is going to go. And then that, that adrenaline just kickstarts me. And then I get 45 minutes to decompress and get back you know, get back to civilization. And then by the time I get home, I'm drained. Yeah. Like, (sighs) well, it also sounds like, and I want to ask you more questions about this math class that you're teaching, but your classroom is not just, they see my freaking voice cracked again. Unbelievable. (laughs) Your classroom is not just your classroom. Like you have other people coming in there teaching your class. Like I'm, I'm curious, does that teacher like just, get in there, get rocking and rolling. Like, do they know the kids? Do they like engage with the kids? Do they like, have they had to like redirect kids or is that all your job? Like explain to us like how it works. So the way the Elevate K-12 program works is that the teacher is virtual. So I'm going to be streaming them off of my laptop 
and I will be streaming them onto the TV from my projector. They're gonna be doing, teaching the math lesson to the children that are in their classroom environment. We still have the children in a classroom as usual. They're logged in on their iPads, they're all assigned iPads. They're logged into a application called Clever. That's where they can see the slideshow that the teacher has. That's how they're able to communicate with the teacher. That's how they learn. My job as what Elevate calls a classroom coach is just to ensure that kids are staying on task. I'm constantly pacing and monitoring, making sure kids are doing what they're supposed to do. I'm the one that does the redirecting. I'm the one that handles the discipline if anything starts happening. The teacher just goes through their lesson like nothing's happening. Does, do they feel field questions? Yes, they do. Okay. So they, they do take questions, they answer questions. Um, there's a way to ask questions in their iPads. They can also come up to a microphone that was pre-set up and ask their questions there. Like, There's plenty of opportunity for them to ask and get questions answered and to um, interact with the teacher. Is the teacher seeing them? Yeah. The teacher can see yes. it. Is it like one camera or is it like during COVID when we were Zoom teaching? Uh, it's one camera. So it's like, the best way I can describe it is it looks like one of those Logitech cameras where it's just a broad spectrum camera. They can see the entire classroom set up on a okay. tripod. Interesting. So I've got that set up on my desk and then I have the microphone set up on the end of the desk and uh, face towards the students so that she can hear uh, any questions that might be going on. She can hear any chatter that's going on too. So, I mean, there's... There's redirection on both ends. Like even she can chime in and say, hey, you know, this might be something you want to pay attention to. Please stop talking. You know, that's mainly my job, but she can also chime in as well. Right. The AI is coming for our jobs, bro. <sighs> it, and it's coming quickly. <laughs> the AI is coming for our jobs. Um, that sounds pricey, though. So I bet you uh, I bet you public education won't, won't get that too soon. No, probably not. This it doesn't sound... Do you think it's efficient? It doesn't sound best case scenario. It wasn't the best case scenario. So we actually had two eighth grade teachers lined up and then they ended up dropping at the last minute. They uh -huh. backed out. So what happened was they took two other teachers, myself and another one, and they plugged us in and said, you're going to be a classroom coach using this program. Right. The, the class is still going to be taught by a certified math teacher. And all you're doing is managing discipline and making sure they stay on track. And that is your only job inside of the classroom. So, and do you still get paid? Is that a part of your contract day? Unfortunately, yes, it is. Okay. So, I mean, you're, it still counts as a course. It's not like they're paying you an hourly wage that's, wage that's less or anything like that. No. Okay. The that's only good. downside to it is they kind of uh, gypped me on my prep hour. Right. So each teacher gets a 90-minute prep block. And what they did with me is... Our lunch is divided into three lunches, A, B, and C lunch. Right. So what they did is they gave me C lunch, and then they gave me no homeroom advisory period, which is about 25 minutes long. So in total, I have about 55 minutes worth of prep every day while every other teacher gets 90. And, and you're supposed to eat lunch during that time too? Yep. And like maybe get a break? So I, no get, break. I get 10 to 20 minutes to eat lunch and then 30 minutes to prep whatever I need. Like if I need to write lesson plans or make copies, like... I mean, I just don't have the time. Dang. So it's gonna get it's gonna get dicey once we get to the middle of the year. So we're we're gonna play it by ear and see what happens. I hope this is just a temporary thing until they can get a body in the room to teach him math. But see, I can see a 
low-income school in a big area that has lots of kids, right? So like a low-income school that still has a large student population, um, still gets decent funding. I could see a low-income school trying to implement this with disastrous results and being like, well, the kids were doing bad anyway. We can save money and and put classroom monitors that don't get paid as much as a teacher. Probably the program doesn't cost as much as a teacher would cost. I could see it happening. Which is unfortunately what's happening because Coolidge Unified is a Title I district. Right. It is a very poor, poor district. And, I mean, yeah, these children are not doing well. They come from very broken homes and their school life reflects their home life. So, I mean, my my role as a teacher, I mean, in my own personal opinion, is I'm more of a like a friend than anything. Like, you know, I'm just a friendly face that they see in the morning and I try to be as much of a teacher as I can, but I mean, we're a break from a terrible home life. Right. That's that's really what it boils down to. So, I'm trying to find a in my third year I'm trying to find the line between teacher and friend yeah because you can't be their friend as their teacher but they need a friend right they need somewhere that they can feel safe and come to especially there but I don't want to interfere with their academic learning because that is that's why we're there right it's I, I feel like I've always struggled with that because the fact of the matter is like everybody has to go to school And I feel like during COVID, after COVID, a lot of people realize that a lot of the financial value that school gives to our society is on the the childcare side of things. And I think the most passionate teachers feel what you just described. I think the most passionate teachers feel like it's more than just showing them the content. Cause like, I don't know about you. I didn't get into teaching because I like really love English or books or writing. I do love those things, but that's not why I got into reading or into teaching. I mean, cause I don't even really like reading. Like it's not my favorite thing in the whole world. Not I'll, at all. I'll read the books that I need to teach my kids happily, but I don't really read books in my free time. I read articles and other things like that. But, um, I think that if you got into this for the kids and for the passion of teaching, you realize that the content ends up being the least important part where you have other teachers who get in here and they're failed scientists or they studied math in college and they didn't have what it takes or didn't feel like going through the struggle of becoming a professor or whatever the case is like, this is a backup, this is a plan B, this is where their dream goes to die. I mean, I I see it. I see it a lot, man, to be honest. Like teachers who are just jaded and, and they care more about the subject than they do about the kids. I don't know if you see that ever or if you've seen that. Did you did you ever feel like you had teachers that were like that? I have actually no, I don't think I have. I think I've had teachers that have been more like that, that are really jaded. I remember my, I mean, I don't want to name names, but probably my seventh grade math teacher was like that. My seventh grade math teacher was very just about the subject and he didn't care about anything else. 
He just cared about whether you got your work done and learned the content, and he didn't care about connecting with you. So, I mean, I've had teachers like that. Working with teachers, I can't say I've ever had a teacher who cared more about the content than their students, which is, I mean, a good thing, yeah. especially down there. Like, they, the teachers down there love building those connections with those students. I mean, myself included. Like, I'm very passionate about what I teach, which is choir and drama. I love music, I love acting, and I want them to love it too, but at the end of the day, nothing comes between me and building a connection with those kids. Because if I can build that connection with them, then maybe they'll want to learn what I have to teach them. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. And that's better for you. You're probably happier. Yes and no, because as, as an elective, you know, they can choose whether they want to take my class or not. But kids get dumped in there too kids also get dumped in there so I can have one student that didn't want to get put in there and I can have 23 who did but that one student can make or break a class oh yeah there is always there's always a way that one student can make or break a class that energy sucker mm -hmm. yeah yeah man I I totally agree with you on that for sure like the the connection you make with students is number one I had I, one of my good teacher friends, she said, you can connect with kids through the content. Like you can use the content as the vehicle for connecting with kids. And I'm kind of 50-50 on that. I feel like, yes, but what if a kid hates it? Well, then they, you need to try to make them like you. Right, so it all comes back to what you just said anyway. So like, okay, you're, re you're a really good math teacher. The kid is going to connect with you on some level because you're a really good math teacher. But if that kid really, really hates math and you're a good math teacher and they like you all at the same time, then you actually have a shot at getting them to like math. Otherwise, you know, they're probably just always going to hate because that's what I'm going through right now. Like even as a classroom coach and just walking around and making sure students are doing their work, I'm still able to build those connections with those kids. Like during our breaks, when they get some free time during their 90 minute block, like I'm still trying to make connections with those kids. And I'm getting, even though it's just the first week, I'm getting to the point where some kids actually do look forward to coming to math, not because of the subject, but because of, the people who are teaching them. Because like I said, I have one teacher who is a really good teacher and connects with the students and then I'm still able to build those connections inside the classroom. So even even if it's a subject they don't like, it's a class that they feel good in and that they feel respected and safe in. Yeah, you've got that safe and secure learning environment. It's it's a place where they just feel comfortable and accepted and and then all of a sudden they express themselves and then they grow and they get a little bit of information and they get a little bit of knowledge and then maybe they end up being good at it. They don't necessarily have to like it, but maybe they end up being good at it. And that's a good deal because now, you know, cause I know you teach middle school. I taught middle school for a time and that was like a piece of anxiety for me. Like, is this kid ready for high school mm -hmm. or Am I going to run into their high school teachers and are they going to say, oh my God, these kids, you didn't prepare them, da, 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 because that would happen when I used to teach at Centennial Middle School. Like, 
kids wouldn't be ready and they would get to high school and they would struggle and you know the the blame would fall back on us and we dealt with a lot of issues like the cultural issues which it sounds like you deal with a little bit over there like because we're a melting pot we have kids from the native reservation we have i think we have more native and african-american kids than we do like anyone else right like i think i think caucasian kids only make up maybe a quarter of our population right if that the rest of them it, like we're a really big mixing pot yeah so cultural is just it's all cultural yeah and that's one thing i noticed is um and and kind of thinking putting it in like the context of american history why would why would our public education system be something that culturally native americans find valuable why would our public education system be something that african american kids would find valuable you know what i mean like especially if you come from a broken home low socioeconomic background there's not a lot of people in your family who've received education you've been victim of a tremendous amount of racism and you know all these things all these systems in the country are work against you why would you care why would you care and i don't blame them i don't blame people for not caring about school not just black people or not just native american people or whatever but any race of person any culture who for some reason you know school isn't valued like i don't blame you it's not done anything for you yet as soon as it does you'll probably value it right like breaking that cycle but you have not seen it work for anybody in your immediate circle so why would you care and that's hard. It's hard to get through to those kids because I know in my teaching career, it's been a point of really um, angry debate. It's been a point of of animosity. Like people have, you know, made it their mission to try to bridge this learning gap and stuff like that. And it's met with that same ignorance that caused the problem in the first place. People saying, well... Everybody has the same opportunity. Well, we give them the same treatment that we give everybody else and da, da, da. And it's like, well, right there, like that's your bias coming out. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but you can't be biased when you teach. Can't do it. Not at all. Can't do it. Um, but you being, you know, an art teacher, you know, you teach art forms, right? Theater. You teach music. Um, do you find that it's like easier to connect with those kids? It's so much easier because yeah. they're more open to different perspectives than anybody else. When you are in, you know, whether it's theater or drama or art, you are exposed to so many different cultures. Like, like relating to music. You know, music goes all the way back until Greek times, ancient Greek times. You know, so you're learning about the ancient Greeks. You were learning about uh, medieval Europe and Christianity. And then you're learning about the Renaissance and Italian music and German. And so you're exposed to all these different cultures. And then um, let's take drama, for example, also coming back to the Greeks and then developing all the way up until today. Once again, you're exposing yourself to different cultures and different mindsets. So I... 
think that the artistic kid, artistic, um, I think that the students that choose to go into the arts are a little bit more open-minded and a little more accepting of those different cultures than a lot of other people. Yeah. And that's why I love teaching those subjects so much. And, and you did that because uh, we were friends in high school, but I think we were like more friends kind of in passing. Like we would talk. I don't, I don't know that we ever had classes together, did we? No, I don't think we did. I, I mean, yeah, like you said, like we were friends in passing. Yeah. We'd say what's up. We'd hang out with, uh, you know, Jeff Wattell. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, you know we, we shared friend groups for sure. And, and I just remember you were so kind and so fun and like – I just always knew that if I saw you, I'd be able to say, hey, what's up? And you'd be like happy to see me. And I was happy to see you. You're just like a super positive person. But so you did theater, choir, that type of thing in I high school? I didn't do drama in high school. I just mainly stuck with choir. And then I tried to stay active and try and do PE just because I knew I needed to do it. Right. But I mean, my main thing was choir and singing. And that's what I wanted to do when I was in high school. And that's all I cared about. So that's kind of where my love of music came from. And now your main thing is being the most jacked music teacher. I know. I, <laughs> I, I know. Kids walked into class and they look, they look at my arms and they're just like, you're the music teacher? And I'm like, yeah, what's up, dude? PE teacher's subbing our class today. Yeah, guys. right. PE teacher's in here. <laughs> so I definitely wanted to ask you about your fitness journey and your transformation there because... I just to take it back to education for a second. I think the way you look impacts how kids perceive you and how they treat you and the respect you get big time. Um, I know that everybody has biases like I was talking about, but like I know there's teachers who look different, get treated different. And I feel like the better you can make your health, the better you can present yourself physically, just be put together, you know, just be put together and, you know, you kind of gain some level of respect, you know, whatever percentage it is, it, it has some return. So I'm sure your students, you know, see you as like a disciplined person that they can respect. Um, I know I feel sometimes, you know, I feel kind of like a hypocrite because, I'm a wrestling coach and I'm not in the greatest shape. The kids see me doing a lot of the thing, same things they can do, you know, that I ask them to do. So that's kind of how I earn their respect in that way. But I know a lot of teachers and coaches who ask kids to do things that either they've never done, aren't willing to do, or like they just physically don't demand that respect. So I admire you a lot for having that, man. Like, it's a half and half thing. You know, there are some kids that can look at me with respect and say, dude, like you're jacked and you're here. Like, you know, what are you doing here? You should be like my coach. And then, you know, there are other kids who are just like, you know, whatever, dude. Yeah, it Especially matter. it comes back to the demographic that I teach. <clears throat> like they don't respect anybody. Half right. of them don't respect anyone, regardless of what you look like. You have to win them over another way. Right. But I know that, you know, it's a culture shock for them walking in and seeing someone who looks like a PE coach, like a strength and conditioning coach, being their choir and drama teacher, and especially like their math, well, math coach. Yeah. So that is, it can be one way that I command respect because they love to joke about like how much I bench press and how much I deadlift. And I'm sitting there going, dude, I'll, 
I could rep your weight. <laughs> I, I've got a I've got a kid in my eighth grade math class. I, he looks like he's around you know two hundred pounds. Yeah. He he's a big guy, and so and he towers over me. He's like six foot, and I'm sitting there going, dude, I could I could rep you if I could put you on a barbell right now. I'd rep you. <laughs> so. It's funny, dude, when these kids step up and like they they think that I mean they're just all full of testosterone these teenage boys dude they think that they can do it and i'm just like bro i will piece you up dude. i re- i remember doing that same thing it was my freshman year of uh, freshman year of choir and what were we doing that day it, it was one of our brain breaks and the topic of arm wrestling came up and i wanted to arm wrestle mr a bear and i mean i i lost obviously but i mean <laughs> You know, thinking back on it, I remember I was I was the first one to raise my hand to want to arm wrestle him, and now <laughs> and now all these kids want to have like push up contests with me and arm wrestling matches with me, and I'm sitting there going, "Is this what I used to be like?" <laughs> yeah, man, man. And and I'm sitting there going, "Dude, you get out of here, dude!" Like I would not want to get in a push up contest with you. I I used to do that too. You know, I every year it happens. I feel like every year it happens. I the last impressive push-up contest I threw down was this skinny kid. He thought he was a really good basketball player, and I think he ended up not making the basketball team. He always said, oh, I could beat you in a race. I could do more push-ups, da-da-da. And one day I was like, I'm done with it. I'm going to do – I'm going to go first. And th- this is where I made the mistake. I was like, I'm going to go first. I'm going to do as many push-ups as I can, and I bet you don't even get close. And I'm a big boy. Like, I weigh I weigh about 260 pounds. Like, I'm a big dude. I can still crank out a good amount of push-ups. Mm-hmm. I cranked out 60 push-ups, and he did zero. He just said no. So he played me. I did 60 push-ups. He didn't even try. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, you win some more respect like that, I feel like. Yeah. Get on their level a little bit, play some games, show them that you know what's up. I did that my last week of school with uh, my first year at college – well, not a college junior high. My first year ever teaching was at an elementary school called West Elementary School. So my last week with that batch of sixth graders, I did do a push-up contest with one of those kids. And he was a sporty kid. Like, I mean, they do their own style of Olympics, like, you know, like a 100-meter dash, quarter mile. Yeah. And they've got a bunch of different events. And so that week, he was like, all right, I want you to do a push-up contest with me. And I was like, all right, dude, if you want, if you really want me to. And so <laughs> – and. He cranked out a good amount. Like, I think he did, like, 30 or 35 push-ups. Like, he was a strong kid. And then, yeah, like you, like you said, I think I did, I think the final count was 72 push-ups. Dang, that's solid. So, I I mean, yeah, obviously I crushed the kid. But, yeah. uh, I mean, that got a good amount of respect for him. And I love seeing him around campus. And he's like, all right, you know, I, I think I can beat you now. I think I can beat you now. And then when I went to Coolidge Junior High the first year, when he was a sixth grader going into seventh grade and I saw him again at the junior high, he came up to me and he was like, look what I can do. And he cranked out 50 pushups. Like nice. it was nothing. And he was like, I practiced all summer to try and beat you. <laughs> so like when you can build that kind of a, like a, a rapport with those kids and make them want to try harder, no matter what it is, like that's a win. Yeah, man. No, hundred percent. And like, just like you literally, all you did was arm wrestle your choir teacher and you still think about it. Now think of how, how much you impacted this kid just by like 
getting on their level for a little while and being a little bit vulnerable and doing a nice little fun competition with them. Like you never forget that type of thing. You'll forget a bunch of lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll forget content, you know, before the next test. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you'll never forget that time that your teacher showed their humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, like I remember my freshman, um, chem, phys, whatever, freshman science teacher, I challenged him grown ass, man. Like, you know, you remember Mr. Sanchez? Oh, hell yeah, I do. I always wondered if he was still working Yeah, he's still, he's still at Corona. But I, um, I challenged him to a wrestling match and we pushed the chairs aside and he whooped me. I got in on a double leg on him (laughs) and he just like pushed me over to my back and pinned me. Um, and I got up. And this was the big controversy. I got up and I said, I'm going to tell everybody that I beat you. And he was like, no one's going to believe that. And I go, well, I have witnesses. And so I got about three quarters of the students in that class to agree to just spread the word that I beat him. So there was about, you know, seven or eight kids who were like, no, you did. And I'm not telling it. Everybody else is like, yeah, like. I'm down to lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down to spread that rumor. Yeah. And um <clears throat> and uh for years to this day um cuz we teach together here now. To this day kids will come up to me and be like, "Did you beat Mr. Sanchez in a wrestling match?" I'll be like, "Yeah, I did." And he'll be like, "He says he beat you." And I was like, "No way, <laughs> dude. No way." And so you know, it's been a, gosh, like a 15-year-old, 16-year-old story now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's transcended time there. But, um, yeah, man, it's, it's funny. Oh, but, just like, oh, there was one rumor. Uh, who, was, who was the government teacher when we were seniors? Oh, Miss Adams. Rest Ms. in Adam. peace, brother. She passed away. She, no way. Yeah, man. She was not in great health. She passed away. Rest oh, in peace. Rest in peace. Yep. Because I just remember the rumor going around about the senior ditch day test. Oh, man. yeah. That was going around forever. And then I showed up senior ditch day. And she was just like, I don't know who spread that, but we're watching a movie today. Yeah, same, bro. <laughs> I showed up on senior ditch day. Honestly, I liked, I liked coming to school. Not necessarily for the school, but for being with my friends. And I had friends that were in different grades. So the people I hung out with at lunch weren't seniors. So my senior year, I was like, I don't, I'll go over to someone's house after school, whatever. Yeah. I don't, I didn't feel like ditching school that day. And my, and my parents were like not down for me to ditch school. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to like not be allowed to like do grad night or anything like that. So I didn't do senior ditch day, but um, yeah, I showed up to her class thinking she's going to put this test on us and you know, it's going to affect my grade or whatever. And yeah. Just watched a movie. Yeah. Yep. Rest in peace. Good lady. Um, lady. So I, I want you to kind of tell us the story of your, you know, because the man I'm seeing here today is not oh, the same man. classmate I had when I was in college or when I was in high school. And you're super you motivate me a lot. You're very inspiring. So you want to kind of talk us through that? Oh, or? man. Get ready for a story. like, Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like obviously you said we were classmates going through high school. And, you, I mean, you remember me from high school. I was 
I mean, I wasn't the biggest kid in the school, but I was a big kid. I mean, so my junior high, where did you go to junior high? I went I to Pueblo Middle Pueb School. You went to Pueblo? Okay, so I went to Apprende. And yeah. I mean, when I was in around seventh or eighth grade, I was already over 200 pounds. So I was, I was a chunk boy. And so coming, coming into high school, like I was still a pretty big kid. I did what I could to try and lose weight. Like my parents had me on different diets. You know, I did the Atkins diet for like a year and that didn't even work. So I tried to stay as active as I could through PE. I took PE all, th all four years. So I did my first two years in PE and then I took weight training my junior and senior year just to try and, you know, try and do something right because yeah. i was just tired of being bullied for being fat and i mean that happened all basically all through school like fifth grade was the worst of it sixth grade and then the bullying died down a little around sophomore year but it still happened a lot and i mean eventually you just get tired of it because i mean the, you know with all the bullying stuff bullying campaigns going around like nobody did anything about it for me and you know kids are you know I don't know if I'm allowed to say, you know, suicide or something like that. You know, kids were kids are committing suicide for the smallest things. And I was like, you know, I'm not taking that way out. I'm going to do this, you know, the hard way. But I didn't know how to do it. So I get through my senior year. My senior year comes around and I take weight training and I'm like, all right, I have to repeat some junior classes. I have a full schedule. I've got two online classes, but I got to make this happen. So I took my weight training seriously. I took my schooling seriously and I dropped down to about 200 pounds, but school got in the way. I needed to make sure I graduated on time with you guys. So weight training kind of fell on the back burner and I was able to graduate on time and get my academics up, but I gained a ton of weight in the process. By the end of my senior year, I was 240 pounds. Going into my first year of college, I gained my freshman 15 or more like my freshman 30, and I got up to about 270 pounds by uh, Christmas of 2011. So from May 2011 to December 2011, I gained 30 pounds. And the catalyst that I had been sitting on was finally one of my friends that I hung out with, one of my gaming friends who had gone through a big weight loss transformation, relapsed on drugs and took his own life. He died of a drug overdose. And right after his memorial service, we all went to one of the gaming centers that we used to hang out at a lot. And my friends were taking a look at me and they were like, dude, your friend could do it. Towie could do it. His name was Jared Towie. And they were like, if he can do it, why, why are you hesitating? And so he died in September. His memorial was in October and I sat on it for a couple of months and finally I hit 270 at December 2011 and I decided, you know, screw it. My New Year's resolution come 2012 is I'm going to lose this weight. Come hell or high water, I'm going to lose the weight. So January... What was, what was your initial goal? Do you remember? I just wanted to be below 200 pounds. Okay. Because I hadn't been below 200 pounds since junior high school. So... January 2012 starts and I am hitting the ground running. I have changed my diet completely. Like I did it the bad way. I just did cold turkey on a lot of stuff. I cut soda completely. I cut junk food. I changed my diet completely and I tried to hit the gym every day. 
But once school started and I was taking 18 credit hours at that time, wow. I knew the gym wasn't going to be feasible. So my focus was just on my diet. So, I mean, those days I was maybe only eating a thousand calories, 1200 calories. You know, my breakfast in the morning was two eggs and two slices of bacon. My lunch would be at the college cafeteria and it'd be a chicken Caesar salad wrap and then dinner was whatever was cooked up at home. So at the end of the day, I was only eating maybe 1200 calories a day. But the first five months of 2012, just from dieting, net me 30 pounds of weight loss. Okay. I mean, that's the power of dieting. Like, what you do in the kitchen makes so much of a difference when whatever fitness goal you're trying to do, whether it's weight loss or muscle gain, and the results speak for themselves in that first five months. I mean, 30 pounds from January to May? I mean, that in and of itself is just crazy. Yeah. So... Once, once we hit May and I got on to summer break for my first year of college is when I really started hitting the gym. And I didn't know what I was doing. Like, you know, I can look up all these exercise videos and weight loss videos. And, but really, I didn't come in with a game plan. I would just go to the gym and I would get on the elliptical and I would just do a mile as fast as I could. And at first that was like, you know, I was doing 15 minute miles on the elliptical. I would get to like a 10th of a mile and I was gassed. <laughs> Cause I thought I had to sprint. I thought I had to go all out every single workout. But, so I would do that every day. I mean, I was in the gym every day for at least two hours a day. Not really weightlifting, just like all cardio, all like just only trying to focus on like calorie deficit type I, stuff. I mixed it up. So I, I always started off with cardio because I heard that was what you were supposed to do. So I always started off with cardio just to see how fast I could do a mile. So I started off on the elliptical because walking hurt too much. I would always get shin splints. So eventually I was... I started off doing 15 minutes miles on the elliptical and then I would get into weight training. You know, I didn't know really what I was doing so I would go watch, you know, fitness videos and then I would copy what those guys were doing. You know, mainly like the bodybuilders. I remember watching like Jay Cutler back in his prime and I would just be like, all right, I'm gonna do what he's doing. Or I would look up an old Arnold Schwarzenegger plan and be like, all right, I'm gonna do his workout plans and I would just do what I could and just researching different exercises that I could do and just taking it from there. I didn't know what I was doing, so I was just winging it basically every single day in the gym. But, you know, eventually 15-minute miles on the elliptical became 13-minute miles on the elliptical. And then 13 became 11, and 11 became 10. And I didn't see too much progress on the scale because I was in so much of a deficit and then trying to add weightlifting and cardio on top of it, I think kind of played with my metabolism a little some, bit. Some overtraining type situation there. Yeah, but I was just trying to push through it because I had a goal. But so from May to December, it, that was my routine. So I made sure to back off on the credit hours a little bit so that I could keep the gym consistently going. And... So I was in the gym seven days a week for anywhere from two to three hours a day, just doing whatever I could, you know, 
getting on my phone and looking up different exercises to try, just seeing what worked and what didn't. And by December 31st, I was, let's see. Yeah, by December 31st, I was like, all right, this is the moment of truth. And I weighed myself at 11.58 that night, December 31st, 2012, and I was 198 pounds. Wow. So I went from 270 pounds at the beginning of 2012 to 198 pounds at 11.58 on December 31st, 2012. Wow. So 72 pounds that first year, just from dieting the first half and then adding the gym in that second half. And not really being super efficient with it, you know, just, yeah, just, just winging it. Just winging it. I didn't have, you know, there was a trainer that, you know, decided to help me. I did a consultation with her and she took me through a couple of exercises, but I couldn't afford a trainer. So, I mean, I, and I was also afraid to ask for help. That's always been a big thing with me. I don't like asking for help. So I just like to try and do things, you know, by looking them up and doing it my way. But I mean, just by doing it my way, I netted that 70 pounds and I hit that goal of getting below 200 pounds. And that was, that was the best feeling in the world to me at that point in time. Just being able to step on that scale and see a number below 200. I mean, there was nothing comparing to it at the time. So 2013 rolls around and I'm feeling great. Like I'm like, I can, I can do it. I feel like I can do anything at that point. So in my, I guess I can call it a quest. I'm a little bit of a nerd. Yeah. In my, in my quest. To, <laughs> Me too, bro. Me in my, too. <laughs> in my quest to keep the fitness train going, I was like, all right, so like what else fitness wise can I do? Because I'm doing a lot of strength training, like, but what good is strength if you can't really use it? Right. So I'm looking at different things that I can try doing and something called the Spartan race pops up. And I have always been a Greek history fanatic. I love anything Greece, ancient Greece from 800 BC to, you know, 200 AD. I love that stuff. So to hear about something that was Greek related, and especially the Spartans, because I mean, those are the toughest men in history. Right. So I was like, all right, I see that I'm going to sign up for it. And so I saw that in January of 2013. I was going to sign up for the one in February 2013, but I was, I got way too chickened out. I was looking at it going like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like I psyched myself out. Right. So the physical discipline was there. The mental discipline was not. I didn't have, I didn't have enough mental discipline. I had enough mental discipline to watch what I ate and go to the gym, but I didn't have enough mental discipline to actually train for a certain event. And especially because I didn't know how. Yeah, and you had never really played any sports before, right? Mm -mm. Okay. I'd ne well, I mean, does like third grade basketball count? I mean, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Compared to a Spartan race, I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't a sporty kid in middle school. I didn't do any sports in high school, even though, you know, the high school football captain was like, I would have liked you as a lineman. Right. But I'd never had any experience in actually training for a sport. So I chickened out at the last minute and I was like, you know what, next year I'll do it. So I trained all of 2013, working on my cardio, working on a little bit more strength and trying to lose a little bit more weight. So I was a 198 at the start of 
2013. And then by the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, I was between 175 and 180. I think I was about 180. Okay. So about another 20 pounds-ish. So 2014 rolls around, and I... You're in the best shape of your life at that point. At that point, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm in the best shape of my life. Uh, I'm doing, like, to me, an eight-minute mile was awesome. Right. So that's what I was about down to right then. And I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to sign up for a Spartan race. So January 2014 rolls around, and I sign up for my first race. And that's in a month and a half. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, a month and a half should be enough time to train, right? Not even close. <laughs> I didn't realize how much training goes into a Spartan race until I actually got to the race. And I was completely unprepared for everything that I faced that day. I, I mean, looking back on it, yeah, I was totally unprepared. There, There is not enough bench press that, or deadlifts that I can do that could have prepared me for something and, like that. And there's specific events in that, right? So was it that you didn't know how to tackle the obstacles or that and just different muscle groups entirely. I mean, you, I mean, yeah, I'm guessing you probably could have done some, some rock climbing, some so parkour type stuff. I don't know. There is a little bit of that. Like yeah. you are jumping over walls, you're going under walls. Uh, you know, you're carrying heavy objects up and down hills and mountains um, there's, there's so many different obstacles that you have to overcome during a Spartan race. Like and tire they have, flips. They have technique to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like tire flips, sled drags. I mean, I mean, there's even a specific way back then there was a specific way you had to carry a bucket. There, I mean, you had to fill it yourself. You had to carry it. You had to empty it at the end. There were specific sandbags that you had to take. There's a form for carrying that too. There's a way, there's a specific form for getting yourself over those walls because you're going to come up six, seven, eight foot walls. At Fort McDowell, there's a 15 foot wall that you have to scale with a rope. There's a form for that. And I didn't know anything about that. And I was so unprepared for what I was going to face that day. So I get to the race venue and... I'm looking at the course map because this was back when the course map, you only saw the course maps the day of the event. Wow. You didn't know what to expect. Now they post it like the Thursday before, which I think is total bull crap because I think it should be a surprise. Right. But I get to the race venue and I'm looking at the course and I'm sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. And how long is a Spartan race? It depends on which one you do. How long was that first one you did? That one was about four and a half miles. Okay. So. Of obstacles. I think there were about 25 or 26 obstacles. Wow. So the old format used to be, well, still is to this day, is that there are three of the main types of races. The first one is called a Spartan Sprint, which back then was anywhere from three to five miles and had anywhere from 20 to 25 obstacles. But they never told you the number. They could go over that number, they could go under that number. Right. So that, that particular race was four and a half miles long and had about 26 obstacles. So everything was a guess. They always kept you guessing and they always kept you on your toes. Like this was back when they had memorization obstacles. Depending on your bib number, you had to memorize 
somewhere in the middle of the race when you are dog tired and you're just focused on finishing, you have to take a look at the last two digits of your bib number and you have to memorize a code based off the last two digits of those bib number. And if you get it wrong, that's 30 burpees. Wow. So the penalty back then for failing any obstacle was 30 burpees. And they would test your mind too. And that was new to me. So I met a couple of guys at the venue that I ended up racing with and finishing the race with them. And those were solid guys. One of them I still talk to to this day. That was his first race too. And that was what prompted him to get into fitness just like I did. Or like hardcore fitness like I did. And now he's an ultra marathon runner and like he's an Ironman athlete. Wow. I mean, he does all that crazy stuff. I'd never dream of doing that stuff. <laughs> I'll stick with my races, thank you. Right, yep. But, I mean, that was an hour and 45 minutes of probably the hardest race of my life. And I've done some hard races, hard Spartan races. But I think that first one is just the most memorable because finally crossing that finish line and earning that medal like that that was the best feeling of being able to kind of train for something and then see the reward and i mean i didn't place well in that one obviously like i was one of the last people in my age group but just being able to train and finish something as hard as that was at the time like that was even better than losing 70 pounds that first year like having an event to train for and then finally completing it it was it was incredible like i mean i'm sure you as an athlete can be like you know all the all those hours that you put in wrestling and then getting to the mat and i was just looking at some of your stuff back there you know you got out of 54 escapes you got out of more escapes than anybody you know in that year so, I mean, being able to put all that training to good use and have it pay off in something like that, I mean, there's no, there's nothing else in the world like it. Yeah, I, I had kind of a similar feeling where I weighed over 200 pounds going into my senior year of high school. And my coach kind of thought I was going to be a dud of a wrestler. And I was a good wrestler. Like, I was solid, but I hadn't done anything. I hadn't really accomplished anything. I battled injuries and... um didn't get my fitness in order. So yeah, I I lost weight from my junior to my senior year and then, you know, placed in state and stuff like that. So yeah, it was cool, not just to have a body transformation, but to do something with these new tools that now are at your disposal that I definitely get how that feels. And you're, and so now are you, so you've been able to like sustain this for a long time. Yeah. You've never like fallen off the wagon and gained 20 pounds and then come back or have you kind of like, did you kind of like level out at some point and you've been there for a while? So I leveled out, like I said, when I got to my first race, I was about 180. Okay. I leveled out there for a a long time. Like I just stayed at 180. I could not break that plateau no matter what I did. And you wanted to break that plateau or? I did eventually, but I didn't know what I was doing right or wrong and I just couldn't get past that point. But so I just kind of stayed there and was just like, you know what, if this is where my body's gonna sit, then this is where my body's gonna sit and I'll just be comfortable, learn to be comfortable. But I still wanted to continue to do those kinds of races because I mean, that was, that was the most fun I'd had in a long time. So I started doing the race every year. So my first year, it took me an hour and 45 minutes to finish the race with three people. So that was 2014. 2015, I did the same race again, the Spartan Sprint. That was the three to five mile one. It was another four and a half mile course. 
I ended up adding 45 minutes to my time. So it took me two and a half hours to finish alone. Hmm. So I raced the 2015 race alone. It took me two and a half hours and I was sitting there going, all right, I gotta make some sort of change. Because if, if this is what it's gonna be like racing alone, then you know I wanna be faster. I wanna be competitive in something. You know, I want to be good at something. So that was when I, 2015 was when I really started focusing on more circuit training and cardio. So I, yeah, I wanted to do more circuit training and start getting my cardio up because I had absolutely garbage cardio. So more circuit training and I had to add more running. You know, I mean, I couldn't keep doing those 14, 15 minute miles because when you get to the race, they give you a little timing chip. They do time you. So that was that's able to measure like what kind of pace you're doing. And my average pace was anywhere from like I think it was an 18 minute mile. Oh, okay. So or no, if it took me two and a half hours then for 5 miles, for 5 miles. So I'm looking at 20, 25 minute miles. Right. So I was like I was sitting there going, I got to get my cardio up, man. So 2015 is when I finally decided, you know, hey, I'm going to you know, start taking this seriously. So I started running more and doing more circuit training. And that's when I started seeing a little bit of break in that plateau. Um, so I got down to about 175 and I plateaued again and stayed around there. 2015 is also when I met my, my now wife. And she was in school to become a baker. So... Every time that I would see her, she would be bringing some new goodie from baking school, and I would chow down on it. And I did end up relapsing a little bit in my weight, weight-wise. I got up to about 190, 195. Okay. And then... How did that affect you, like, psychologically? Because that's my issue is I've, ever since my senior year of high school, I've had some, like, valiant efforts at weight loss where I lost 30 pounds or I lost 15 or 20 pounds. And then, like you said in your journey, some aspect of life got in the way and I lost all discipline. And so how did that like psychologically or emotionally affect you? Well, when my pants started fitting differently, I knew something was wrong. But, <laughs> um... And that's where I'm at right now, especially since I got my ACL surgery. I was like on a really good track because I lost some weight leading up to my wedding. I kept mm-hmm. it going through our honeymoon and on vacations. Like I was proud of myself that I was able to keep it going while I was on vacations. Yeah. And then I tore my ACL in January of 2023. Um, and yeah, that's the situation that I'm in, man, is clothes don't fit me. And I know that I'm on my journey and it's fine. It's just take it you know, one workout at a time, one meal at a time. But I do get a little bit discouraged for sure. So when that finally started happening, like when I looked at the scale and I saw it steadily creeping back towards 200 and I started getting those flashbacks of, you know, being over 200 pounds and I'm sitting there going, this isn't okay. You know, I'm not going to go back to that old life again. Right. This cannot be okay. And so it had to become a total mindset change. And I even had to tell my then girlfriend, you know, I love you. I love the goodies that you bring, but I have to stop eating them. But because that was right around when I finally, you know, made the decision like she's the one. Right. Because, you know, I met her in May of 2015. We started dating in 
August of 2015. And that was when she was bringing all the goodies from August to December of 2015. And then around Christmas time was when I, when I decided she's the one. Right. Like, and then I also took a look at the scale and it's saying 190, 195. And I'm like, I got to look good for this wedding. I got to start cutting back. And that's when I told her, you know, I'm going to marry you. Like, we both talked about it. And I was like, flat out, I'm going to marry you. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. But I got to lose some weight. I want to look good for this. So, And she's like, you know, you're fine just the way you are. And I'm like, but no, I want to look good for you. So I was like, you know, start bringing the goodies home to your parents. And, you know, I, you know I'm going to get back on my track. So that's when I really took my circuit training and cardio to the next level. I was researching anything that Spartan had because Spartan was starting to release their own workouts. Uh -huh. I was looking up any sort of circuit training that I could do to start breaking down that plateau again and get my cardio up to where it needed to be. And, and those, those worked like a charm. And it was like all body weight. You know, I didn't touch weights for a good six months. Like occasionally I do deadlifts and stuff like that, like regular weight training just to break up the monotony of circuit training. But I just focused on body weight circuit training and running because I was able to run at that point. And that was my focus. I hardly ever touched a weight. And from January of 2016 up until my wedding in November 2016, uh, I lost about 30 pounds. Wow. And that was just focusing on circuit training. So. And you got back on your pre. So outside of your wife bringing you, you know, baked goods, were you still pretty disciplined outside of that? Or did you kind of fall off the wagon completely? Other than that, no, I, I stayed on that. It was just all the baked goods that she was bringing in. And, you know, occasionally we go, well, I was trying to take her out on a date every week and I'd be like, you know, I can spare some time for a, for like a blizzard or some sort of treat. So the yeah. baked goods in addition to like desserts that we'd get while we were out, you know, I was still eating really clean at home, but I was adding on the extra calories outside of, you know. And your training wasn't complimentary to that. It, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't making up for that surplus. Right. So I, I was definitely a calorie surplus and I wasn't doing enough training to offset that. So that's when I was like, all right, now I need to change my training and I need to change my diet back to where it was. So what helped with that too is that was the year I also got a job as a personal trainer because I wanted to start doing that for a living because I mean, I went through my own journey and I wanted pe other people to see the same results that I did because there's no other feeling than like setting a personal goal for yourself and then meeting it. And especially like with something as important as physical fitness, I wanted people to see those results for themselves and know that they could do something like that. Like it's not just something you see on a TV screen. It's not just something where you can look at, you know, I, I used to look at you like I saw that picture of you back there. And that's the Pablo I remember from high school, <laughs> like with Jack shoulders, like boulder shoulders and freaking like Jeff Wattell. Like, I mean, that, he was ripped back then. Yeah. You know, seeing you guys and I'm sitting there going like, I, I want to be able to do that too. And then getting to that point, I wanted other people to be able to know that they could do it too. So I changed from music slowly over to fitness. 
and became a personal trainer and I've helped tons of clients see those same results that I did. And so I was a personal trainer in 2016 for LA Fitness. And that's how I kept my training going is, you know, I'm at a gym, I'm setting an example, you know, I have to eat clean and I have to train hard. And so that's also a big thing that helped me, you know, stay disciplined is that people were watching me. My bosses were watching me, my clients were watching me. And then the regulars at the gym, you know, they're watching, you know, people are watching you. And so it was one of those things where it's like, I can't fall off now. And so there was that accountability factor built in. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to stay accountable to myself and accountable to, you know, my soon to be wife, to my family and to the people that were watching because I mean, especially in today's day and age, there people are watching you. Yeah. No matter, no matter what you're doing, they're watching you and they're waiting for you to slip up. So just don't give them a chance to see you slip up. And so, you know, I got lost that 30 pounds to my wedding and I was 163 the day of our wedding. And right now I sit between 165 and 175. Right now I'm about 170. So from 2012, sitting at 270 to now, I've kept off 100 pounds. That's awesome. That's amazing. And with only one real big slip up. Yeah. Wow. That's huge, man. Yeah, that that fires me up. Like I've got goosebumps right now. Like that that fires me up. Like ah, oh, I just I got to tell you, man, like it it's been a rough journey for me. It's been rough cuz I know that like a lot of my motivation was related to sports. And once I started coaching and teaching and in college and the further I got from competition, the less incentive I had to focus on my diet. And it, I've never stopped working out. Mm-hmm. I've always worked out. I'm probably more active even since I got my surgery. I'm more, my ACL reconstruction, I'm more active than I've ever been. Yeah, It's always been, like you said before, like in the kitchen for me. I swear if I could get it right in the kitchen, I'd be right there with you, dude. 170, 180 pounds max. Like, and it is, I'd be right there. And that's the problem is, you know, focusing on what goes on in the kitchen is so expensive nowadays. I mean, average grocery run just for the protein that we eat, because we get all our protein from Costco right now. I mean, that's a, that's a $180 trip for two weeks. Because, I mean, eight pounds of ground beef, uh... What else do we get? We usually get a couple of pork chops, a couple of steaks. I mean, it adds up. Yeah. Protein adds up really quick. And that's the most important nutrient that you need in a calorie deficit when you're trying to lose fat but maintain muscle mass. That's the most important, you know, one that you need. And so... Did you use any supplements or anything like that in your process? Oh, every day. Yeah. I mean, there are some supplements that I can't live without. I mean... I've got my multivitamins in my bag that I was supposed to take before uh, before we started this, yeah. so I'll have to take them later. But you know, I I have always had a good multivitamin. Cause crank these out. Let's see what do you got here. So what I have is this is one of my favorite brands. Please, please tell me. I'm and not. when you start your podcast, you can get uh, you can get sponsored. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> please tell me I brought it with me. I did. So. 
what I, what I have here is it's called the First Form Microfactor Pack. Okay. It's an eight vitamin pack filled with everything that you are going to need. And I think it's got the list right there. It's yeah, so let's see. We've got antioxidant. Is that a three or is that a one? That's a that's a three. Three multivitamins, three C O Q ten. Three C O Q ten. Three C O Q ten. One vitamin of fruits and veggies, one probiotic, and one EEA. Mm-hmm. EEA. And so do you get these off a website? Do you get them at GNC? Or? So I actually go to a supplement store called Peak Nutrition. It's, okay. It's over off Warner and McClintock. It's right next to the EOS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So First Form has been, been in the game since... I'm gonna say like 2011 or 2012. Okay. So they were a small company and they- You have, just pop one of these every day and- Yep, I make sure to try and pop one of these every day and get my micronutrients for the day. Do you mess around with like any like uh, BCAA drinks or- I just started dabbling with those. Okay. And, and those do help, those do help a lot. See, I've been doing that for a long time. I I don't like taking like the, like the pills, like vitamin pills. Mm -hmm. So I try my best to get it from like powders and that's been the most sustainable. I've been doing that for a long time and that's actually really increased my energy and my productivity and my, you know, mental sharpness and a bunch of things. Like that's helped a lot. That's the biggest thing I feel like from vitamin supplementation is the energy mm -hmm. and the, you know, how quickly you can form sentences and communicate and make quick decisions and things like that. Um, I think it affects your brain tremendously and just the the overall efficiency of your body. Oh, micronutrients play such a huge role in that. Like carbs, proteins, fats are all great for bodily functions, but for like all the little functions that we don't think about, a good multivitamin is gonna help with that. And that's why I like that one is it's an all-in-one, I don't have to think about it, you know, my micronutrients throughout the day, I pop one of those and I'm good for the rest of the day. And then all of my meal planning is just based off of hitting my protein goal. Right. So everything that I do in the kitchen is all protein. I don't focus on like rice. I don't focus on carbs. I let the carbs and the fats come throughout the day. Yeah. So wh whatever I prep for the day, like I'll cook a steak or a pork chop and everything I eat is protein. And then like if there's a muffin in the teacher's lounge, I'll eat the muffin and there's some carbs for the day. And that's the way I had to start looking at it to finally like get into a diet that works for me and keeps me satiated and happy because dieting sucks. Yeah. Like, you know, having to cut out certain things and saying that, you know, I can't eat like that occasional blizzard. I can't eat, you know, any of those cupcakes. That sucks. So if I focus on meal prepping for my protein goal and letting the carbs and fats come throughout the day, I'm so much more happy. And then having a good multivitamin just supplements that even more. I had my sister on the podcast and that was a really big thing that she talked about is add, don't take things out of your diet, add things into your diet. And you'll see that you'll make better choices in general, the more good things you add into your diet. Mm -hmm. Okay, you ate a blizzard, your next meal probably should offset that. Yeah. in some capacity. You had a bag of chips, your next meal should off, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like that, that's that been the biggest 
thing that I've noticed is that for years it was either I'm on or I'm off the wagon. And I feel like for the first time, basically since the pandemic, like after, once we kind of came back to like a regular work lifestyle as a teacher mm -hmm. from the pandemic, so 2020. 21 2022 school year yeah my sister helped me a lot with like the guilt related with food i had a tremendous amount of guilt i don't know if you ever felt that way for a long time i did yeah where like you would i would eat something like unhealthy and i would feel like i just did crack yeah or i was a meth addict or something like that and it'd be like i have to do so much more work tonight or tomorrow just to get rid of that those calories like it you know, it gets to a point where, you know, it consumes you. Yeah. And and all you think about is food and all that makes you do is want to eat more. You you end up eating more. You end up yeah. being like, screw it. And then you clean your kitchen out. I or mean, you, that's what happened. Or you me. go the completely opposite direction and be like, I ate a blizzard. I can't have anything else the rest of the day. And you don't eat anything. And that's the worst thing you can do for your metabolism is Ex not eat anything. Exactly. And so it it finally came to a point where it was like, you know – Rather than being on the wagon, off the wagon, just stay on the wagon. Find a plan that works for you and then stick with it, yeah. which, you know, which is why I brought up the point of plan your protein goal and let everything else come into play as you go throughout the day. Yeah. Like I saw you had some apple slices out, you know, you know. Yeah, that's been my big thing is variety because I am good at eating protein, but I mostly eat carbs mm -hmm. and and that just has a lot to do with the habits that I've had for a long time and not meal prepping quite as much and buying pre-made meals that are just throw them in the microwave and like, yeah, this pre-made meal you got has 23 grams of protein in it, but it has a tremendous amount of carbs as well. And also a tremendous amount of sodium. Sodium, yeah, and just high in calories in general and, and you know, you could be doing worse, right? But my big thing that I'm working on right now is adding fruit because when I add fruit into my diet, especially the green apples and grapes, those two things, I find that I just make better choices when, mm -hmm. that, when I start my day with fruit. And I don't know, it, maybe it's psychological, maybe it's physical. It's probably both if you ask my sister. The big thing that she always talks to me about is is the sustainability factor yeah everything with her clients she talks about is having to do with like is this your lifestyle like it if it doesn't work in your lifestyle then like you need to find a way to make it work mm -hmm. right or deal with the consequences right but um yeah diets don't work that's been the biggest thing that i've learned from my sister and i kind of take that from our conversation here as well as they they don't work like they'll work f for a period of time, but you will not be able to sustain them forever. I mean, I know a lot of people in the wrestling community, a lot of my former teammates, like we've all gained a lot of weight because we were hard on our bodies. You know, we cut weight, we gained weight, we cut weight. Um, and it developed eating disorders with all of us where yeah. the value of food is massive. You know, like the value of a cheat meal was like the greatest ecstasy that we could experience. Mm -hmm. Like I remember after my senior year of high school, I was super disciplined. I 
said, I'm only eating foods that I deem to be healthy. Um, same thing, I was eating a very small amount of calories, performing at really high levels. Um, and when the season was over, I went to the mall with some friends and I got a chocolate dip cone. I've, I never have really been a sweets guy. Mm-hmm. Like I like sour candy and stuff like that. I yeah. never really was a sweets guy. I'd rather eat a bag of chips if I'm going to eat something, you know, junk food. Yeah. I got a chocolate dip cone at, at Dairy Queen and dude, I was obsessed. I became obsessed with M&M blizzards chocolate dip cones um god what are those what are those uh like ice cream popsicles that are like dipped in chocolate and caramel and stuff oh man those like magnum bars yeah the magnum bars dude i would buy those and eat four of them and one like oh my god like the the amount of crap i would get food hangovers yeah i would eat late at night i remember still during my senior year of high school I would eat late at night. I would just binge eat like crazy. I'd wake up the next morning. My face would be swollen. I would feel gross. I would gag while I was brushing my teeth. Oh, like man. terrible, dude. Terrible, terrible. And I would go to school and my clothes started fitting me tighter. And I bought a pair of pants that was another size up. And it just seemed like I've always been able to maintain my weight with exercise Mm -hmm. when something happens where I can't exercise is where I gain weight Mm -hmm. because I've always just done it through working out really only one time in my life have I ever lost weight with a diet and even then it was an extremely restrictive diet yeah because I was constantly under the pressure of having to hit be in my weight class I was varsity at 171 pounds and I had to make 171 pounds. If you're 0.1 of a pound over, no go. You don't get to wrestle. You scratched weight. Like, yeah. you don't get to. So, no, man, I've, I learned a tremendous amount just from talking to you right now. I have no doubt that you're going to help. You've already helped and you're probably going to continue to help a lot of people. Um, so you're getting into um, a different type of personal training, training people – for Spartan races specifically, that type of thing? Or? So, yeah, I just went through a program that Spartan has. It's called Spartan SGX. And it's a group certification that talks about training people for a Spartan race. It's, a, it's about building a 12-week program that will prepare anybody for a Spartan race. Sp- particularly this Spartan sprint, which is their shortest distance. But it's basically the premise that anyone can train for a Spartan race in 12 weeks. And so that was my goal. So whether it's individually or as a group, you know, it's doable. And then my focus is going to be more of the group aspects because I'm trying to start a business with a buddy that I met through Spartan. I met him in 2016 at one of what Spartan calls its Spartan workout tours. They would go around the country and they'd have a Spartan group trainer lead a group workout. And these could be anywhere from like 30 to 70 people. These were big events. And that year, I mean, that was a great year because I had just gotten married that year in November and then the workout tour was in December. So I'm trying to train for more endurance stuff. So 
the event was four and a half miles away from me. And so I had the bright idea that I was going to run to and from the event. So I was living at Dobson and Southern and the event was at uh, Tempe Marketplace, that Roadrunner Sports okay. right there. So I ran from my apartment at Dobson and Southern four and a half miles to Roadrunner Sports at Tempe Marketplace to do and this the race tour. started there. And that, well, it wasn't a race. It was a workout. Oh, tour. it was a workout. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So I ran to that workout and that's where I met my buddy. His name's Gino. And we stuck together and we did the workout tour together and we exchanged info because we were like, you know, you're a solid guy. You know, we kept each other going and that was where he got hooked on Spartan too. I mean, actually he, cause I think he'd been doing it for a while, but you know, that just got him even more hooked. Just seeing the way that I came, came in, like I told him that I ran here four and a half miles and we did the workout together. And he was like, and you, now you have to run back. Like you're a freaking monster. And <laughs> he wanted to work with me. So yeah. we exchanged info and then I ran back to my apartment and 2017, he calls me up and he's like, Hey, I want to start training people for these races. Did you used to run around? Sorry, I just totally got this image. Did you used to run around with a backpack on, huh? You used to run around the neighborhood wearing a backpack? Probably. Would you wear like a weighted vest or something like that when you would go on runs? Yeah. Okay. I remember seeing you doing that yeah. when we were like, you know, in, in this time frame that you're talking about. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, okay. I do a lot of weight vest runs too. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. So he, he calls me up in 2017 and says, hey, I want to start training people for these. Do you want to help me? And I was like, well, hell yeah, I do. So 2017 is when we started doing, you know, informal trainings out of a obstacle course racing gym up in Scottsdale, back when people were trying to start these gyms up. And I mean, these were 2017, I think we only had like eight people per training. I mean, it was a really small group, but it means that we could be a little bit more intimate and have more one-on-one -on -one time with those clients. And then 2018, we went up to like 13 people. And then 2019, we had like 20 people that showed up consistently to these trainings. And then obviously COVID happened yeah. and that put a damper on those trainings and the business got put on the back burner. But 2022, I get a call from Gino and he says, hey, this thing is taking off like faster than I expected and I need you on board with me and I was like all right you know what do I have to do so I found ended up finding the page that he created for his company and it's called building better humans so that's what we're all about is making better people better and trying to get them to sign up for even if it's not a Spartan race, just any race in general, get an event on the calendar that you can train for. Because if you have an event on the calendar, just like any athlete, if you have something that you're training for, you're gonna take your training a lot more seriously. And there are certain things that I learned about in that course, like such as like the pillars of what Spartan stands for, such as like the mind and endurance and athleticism. And if you have an event on the board, you're gonna take all these things so much more seriously than if you're just training just to, as a general world, just to lose weight. Yeah. You know, having an event on the board makes that much more difference and it makes you take everything so much more seriously. Seeing a number on the scale I mean, it's great and all, but 
what good is a number on the scale if you're not going out and do some, doing something with it? Right. So that's what our aim is, is to get people to sign up for these races, no matter what they are, and then train them so that they can, you know, have a good chance of finishing quickly and then seeing them go on to become better and bettering themselves, bettering their times. And I mean, you know, seeing the looks on their faces after the workouts that we put them through. And I mean, we put them through some shit. Yeah. Like, there was one year where we decided to make it more of like what's called a hurricane heat style. The hurricane heat from Spartan dates back to 2011 and Hurricane Irene, where Hurricane Irene was hitting the East Coast. And the founder of Spartan Race, Joe DeSena, said, screw this hurricane. I'm still going to put this on. Whoever shows up, we're still going to race. I think like 15, 20 people showed up that day, even through a hurricane. And they, for like six hours, they were going through mud. They were fighting hurricane-level winds. And it was a team-building event. And they got special medals at the end of it. And that eventually became a thing, is they have hurricane heats that are endurance events like that. And we put them in 2018 through something like that. You know, they had to work as a team to overcome certain obstacles, such as tire carries. They were carrying 400-pound tires a quarter of a mile. Wow. And they had to figure out how to do it on their own. All we would tell them is take this tire, take it down there and take it back, which was a quarter of a mile. And they had to figure out how to do it on their own. We didn't give them any instructions other than it had to get there and back. Wow. So it forced them outside of their comfort zone to work as a team to overcome an obstacle. And that translates into no matter where you are, that translates into any aspect of life, whether it's, you know, in a teaching team or you know, even even in a solo setting, because it teaches you that it teaches you that you can overcome more, even whether you're in a team setting or whether you're solo. Like you can be like, you know, I did this with all of these people. What can I accomplish on my own? And or it pushes, vice versa. Or right? vice versa. Yeah. Or if you know, vice versa, I can do this on my own. What can I bring to a team? So that's what we're gearing more towards right now. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. And what's the name of the company? Building Better Humans. Building Better Humans. And do you have stake in it or are you just kind of like helping him out or are you guys like kind of partners? We're partners. Okay. He, he's the founder and then I'm I'm basically his head coach. Okay. So I just, I just passed that exam and I'm waiting for that certification right now. My PT certification fell off in 2020 because I was working for Amazon at the time. Right. So I'm working on getting that personal training certification back. But once I have that group certification, I can start training again. Got it. So I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to this because right now he is, he's originally from the UK. So he's over in the EU trying to get this going over there. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to, we're already trying to make this company international. Awesome. And so I'm heading operations here. And I'm excited to see where this is going. Like we have a solid group of 20 to 25 people that show up to all of our events, no matter what. And I'm ready to see that go up to 30, 40, 50. I'm ready to take this to the next level. I want to, Spartan is dedicated to ripping people off the couch and getting them into one of their races. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want for people. I want them to see progress in themselves and progress like on a, on a chart. I want them to see progress in a race. I want them to see progress in every aspect of their lives. Would you ever consider, because um, Spartan races, 
um, they're awesome, right? But I could see people being turned off by it or being like, ah, I don't really want to do that. Like, would you consider doing it? Like, I, I feel like it'd be a great idea for you to prepare adults for other types of challenges as well. Like one thing I've always wanted to do, like I, I continued to compete in wrestling until I was 20 years old mm-hmm. um, in like local open division wrestling tournaments. Yeah. And I've always joked or kind of dreamed about getting myself in super good shape and going to like an adult wrestling tournament or getting back mm-hmm. into jujitsu or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I feel like that would be super successful. You could partner with like fight schools and jujitsu schools and, you know, make a little bit preparing them for the strength and conditioning aspect. Cause I know one thing that I've always struggled with as an athlete is I'd rather just wrestle mm-hmm. like my entire twenties as a coach, I barely lifted weights. I wrestled and I worked out some on my own and stuff, but mostly I just wrestled. Mm -hmm. I wrestled with other wrestlers. I wrestled with other coaches and stuff like that. And it was definitely a weakness in my game was my strength. Not so much my conditioning because wrestling gets you extremely conditioned, but it was more so the strength aspects. I feel like you could build better humans toward whatever personal goal they might have. There's actually a funny story about that. So the founder of Spartan Race, Joe DeSena, he was working with, uh, I think it was a collegiate, was it the Olympic level wrestling or some sort of collegiate level wrestling team? But they were one of the top ones in the country. And he was asked by their head coach to train these people. And, you know, like me, he specializes in training people for Spartan races and getting people outside their comfort zones. So... He took on the challenge of training these, you know, collegiate level athletes. And so what happened was they were flown out to Vermont, which is where he lives. He lives on a farm. They were bussed out and they were dropped in the middle of nowhere. They had to use their navigation systems to get themselves to his farm. I mean, I mean, these are, you know, D1 athletes or professional athletes. Yeah. And, and they were sitting there going, we're being treated like this. So they had to earn their keep just to train with the guy. And he had them going up and down a mountain, carrying logs, you know, working in rain, working in the cold. And these, and these athletes are sitting there going, you know, this isn't, you know, what we train for. You know, we're wrestlers. Yeah. Why are we doing, you know, stuff like this? But then comes the mental aspect of it. You know, you're doing all these seemingly random things. And one of these wrestlers talked about his experience came back to Joe DeSena and talked about his experience and he was like the things that you did within that weekend that you trained my team got me through the championship match and got me to win it was like he was like thinking in the last 10 seconds because he was about to get himself pinned and he was like if I can go through the kind of shit that he put me through for that weekend I can get through this next 10 seconds and get out of this pin and he went on to win that match within that 10 seconds. Wow. He got out of the pin and won the match. Wow. And so the way he puts it, Joe, the way Joe DeSena puts it in his book is that, you know, even though I only train for obstacle course races and it seems like the things that I do are completely random, there's a method to the madness. Because in life, anything can happen at any given moment. It's all up to chance. And so even though 
the training seemed a little bit unstructured and you're sitting there going, you know, what is he working this? What is he doing? It's more building a mental, it's building mental discipline. It's building a mental focus. You know, no matter what happens, you're going to be prepared. You know, coming back to that old adage, expect the unexpected, you know, if you're not expecting for them to, I, I don't know wrestling terms. Right. Like, so, I mean, like, you're not expecting them to, you know, come around back and get you in, like, a back hold or something yeah. like that. But, you know, if I just put you through one of the most insane workouts of your life where you didn't know what was coming next, then you're just going to sit there going, oh, he's got me in a back hold. I know what to go, you know, where yeah. to go from you're here. Yeah, you're, you're comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that that's... I could, I definitely understand that. I know my coach has put me through a lot of that type of stuff. And yeah, it does give you a huge mental edge. Um, do you have like a website you want to promote or maybe an Instagram page that you want to promote? Is there like a, like bebetterhumans.com or? Uh, it's under a different name. Okay. So let me see if I can pull it up right now. We're still working on getting that pers- that specific one up. It is under the Building Better Humans brand Building now. Building Better Humans. Yeah, but the website is called sgxpaix.com. sgxpacks.com. That's the website that is going to take you to um, our, our brand. And, I mean... And can people uh, contact you directly, maybe on Instagram or Facebook, if oh. they want to get a hold of you? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, on Instagram, so my Instagram handle is just D-S-P-A-Z underscore O-C-R. Okay. So D-S-P-A-Z O-C-R. Okay. So that's me on Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's just Devin Sparaza, just my name. And, I mean, I'm looking forward to the next five years building up this brand. Cause I mean, if I could make this my full-time, you know, my full-time job, I would definitely take it because I just had one of my, one of my high school friends send me a picture of her transformation. You know, she had gained a bunch of weight and she was, you know, struggling with it for a while. And she just sent this incredible transformation. And I mean, this is going to blow you away. Okay. Let me see if I can find this transformation because I am absolutely, I am so fucking proud of her. Like, look at this transformation. Do you remember that face? Uh, maybe I'll remember the name. Her name's Rachel. Rachel. No, but. Her married name is Rogers. I don't remember her maiden name. Her maiden name. No, that's incredible, man. She sent me She sent me that, and then she just said, thanks for inspiring me. And I looked at that, and I'm like, I am so freaking proud of you. Like, that's incredible, I can't, man. I can't even begin to imagine the, you know, the things that she, well, I mean, I can, but on the other hand, I don't know her specific situations, but to see a transformation like that. And then for her to say, you played such a big role in this just by being you, that's what I live for. Like helping people directly or indirectly. That's what I want to do. And I mean, teaching has been a big part of it because I'm helping children build their own futures, but I want to help people, you know, Find what they're capable of because 
growing up, I was, you know, like you said, I was a nice kid, you know, I was nice to everyone I met, but I was a really scared kid. I was a frightened little kid. Like, I was really afraid to talk to people. And now, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later, finally being able, I wasn't able to break out of my shell until like 2014, 2015. After losing all that weight, I couldn't get over the body image thing until 2015. And even now, I still have problems taking my shirt off in front of people. Like, that never goes away. But if I can help people, you know, find out what they're truly capable of and help them along their fitness journeys in any way that I can, or whatever journey they're going through, you know, that's a win for me. And I think that building better humans is going to be able to do that for a lot of people. And I believe wholeheartedly in this project and this business, and I'm ready to see where it goes. Well, um, you've got a supporter in me. I don't doubt you for a single second, man. And you definitely motivate me. And I know you'll continue to motivate lots of people. Devin Sparaza, look him up on Instagram, Facebook. We'll make sure to tag it, tag you on all that stuff, man. Beautiful, amazing story, man. I wish you nothing but the best in teaching and your coaching and your races and your personal life and in everything, man. Thanks, Pablo. Awesome, bro.